Good morning. I hope you're all in good spirits this morning. Um, that stuff that is flying around outside the windows, somebody told me that that was some word, it started with an S, I don't remember the word, it's dust. That's all it is. And uh, so during the week, if you've got your vacuum cleaner in the car and you can buy, you know, you can kind of help clean it up. And that's all. That's right. Wet, dry back. <laughs> well, it's always a good day in the Lord, isn't it? I mean, none of us would want to be in the position that John Armstrong is in at this moment, but any one of us can. But it really doesn't matter in, in, as to how we praise God and, and how we feel about the Lord and how he feels about us. He's still there you know, assuring us and um, eternal life awaits and uh, what a privilege. We are privileged people. Well this morning uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin. And uh, before we begin uh, let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for uh, this day and every day that we can come together and fellowship one with another, Father, and to uh, be in your presence in, in a corporate way here, and, and Lord, um, uh, just to hear from your word. And Father, we just pray that you would speak to us today and, and, um, and help us to glean whatever it is that you would have us to, uh, to gain here. And uh, Lord, we just commit it all to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3 and verses 12 and 13. 12 and 13. It says, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you, in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now in verse 13 it says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today. And that word that there today means don't put it off. That's all it means. Don't put it off. So we need to keep exhorting one another uh, to, uh, to live the faith uh, in an upright manner and to walk with our God the way he would intend us to do. Now, the definition of deceitfulness is a belief not substantiated by biblical evidence. A belief not substantiated by biblical evidence. Back up from Hebrews, uh, or go forward, I should say, from Hebrews into James. James chapter 1. And verses 12 through 15. James 1.12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Uh, This is an excellent warning for us. And I'm sure you're familiar uh, with these uh, couple of verses. But uh, it's it's, uh, excellent to to revisit here once in a while uh, in in order to make certain that we understand uh, that sin is a serious problem, that sin, we can be tempted at any time, and if we're not careful, we can fall. And uh, God does not want that to happen and to reach the ultimate end that is expressed here. Now, some people might say, when, when, uh, when some sin is, is tempting them, they might say, well, why did God allow this? Or, you know, what, what is God doing? And verse 13 tells us, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So it's not God's fault. It's this world we live in, which is full of sin all around us, that we have to migrate in and navigate in and try to do what what God wants us to do as, as his children. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. You know, years ago, and I'm dating myself now, but years ago there was a comedian on television, his name was Flip Wilson. And you remember, some of you may remember what Flip Wilson always said. The devil made me do it. No, I'm afraid we can't use that one. Because it says here, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by what? His own desires and enticed. See, if God allowed Satan to actually move us into a position of full-blown sin, then we could blame God as the tempter, as the basis for it. So we can't do that, according to verse 13. Then when desire has conceived, it gives, verse 15, has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. We have a process here. We see a process. We, the, the, the temptation comes along, and we're enticed by it, and Hopefully this doesn't happen, but occasionally we can be, we can fall into sin and let let the temptation go beyond and actually lure us into sin. And it says, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. There's a process that goes on here. You see, sin at the beginning, Bible tells us that sin is pleasurable for a season. So at the, in the beginning, it seems, oh, this, I'm not having any problem with this, so why don't I just go forward with it? But it says, when it, desire has conceived, now there's going to be a birth that happens. It gives birth to sin, and sin when it is full grown. Because sin always takes you further than you want to go. Once you, once you dabble with it, once you're enticed by it, and you actually engage it, then it's going to go further and deeper and, and, and cause more and begin to cause you problems and become full grown. 
And uh, that's a, a stern warning that we have here about that. All right, now, I want to clear something up here. Temptation is not sin. When we're tempted, that is not sin. It's only sin when we yield to it and actually commit the sin that we're being tempted of. Let me show you that. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Right back to Hebrews chapter 4. And verses 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now you see verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points tempted, which is, has been tempted as we are. Now if, tempta if the temptation were sin, then Jesus would have sinned because he was tempted. So we know the temptation itself is not sin. It's only when we succumb to the temptation. And of course, he never did. The Apostle Paul said, He who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So don't worry about the temptation. We, I've known people that have said, Well, I got tempted today, and I, so I've got to confess it. Well, did you do anything? No. Then there's nothing to confess. You've won if the temptation, if you passed it by, uh, just out of hand. All right, now, so temptation is not sin. So what does God do when one of his children falls into sin as a result of the temptation? Uh, does he jump in and just stop it? No, he doesn't do that. Reason being, if he just instantaneously stopped it every time we entertained sin, what would we learn? We wouldn't learn anything from that, if, if we just rely on him to take care of it all. And, we, I mean, we, we become irresponsible to the whole thing. No, he expects us to take responsibility for our sin. Because we have the Spirit of God in us, and we recognize when we've sinned, and so he expects us to take responsibility. 1 Corinthians 11.31 says, and here's that responsibility that I just mentioned. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. We, have, we know the truth. We know what sin is, what is sin, and what isn't sin. So if, so if we happen to fall into sin, we judge ourselves, and then we're not judged. Now we will we'll confess it. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we take that initiative, and that initiative to ask forgiveness of him and to be restored is natural if we have judged ourselves to be wrong in the matter. Now, 1 John 1.9 uh, is a wonderful verse, and most of us have memorized it, and uh, if not, it's an excellent one to memorize. 
But there's a little more to it than what 1 John 1, 9 expresses. And in keeping with the way the Word of God is written, there are pieces and parts of different doctrines kind of scattered around. And this one has one also. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So you want to marry that. I would encourage you to marry that verse with 1 John 1, 9. Because you see, there, occasionally you'll run into somebody that, that just keeps committing the same sin over and over and over. And, well, it's okay because I'll just confess it. And then, you know, a few days later or a week later, commit the same sin over again. No, this says in Proverbs 28, 13, He who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. That word forsakes means abandon. Means to abandon the sin. And that's really what happens in our progression of sanctification as we grow in the faith and improve and become more Christ-like, is that we stop committing those sins, we move on from them. And the next time we're tempted, and God will sometimes allow that testing, and uh, even though he doesn't do it himself, and, uh, uh, and we don't commit it anymore. See, if we don't judge ourselves, but persist in the sin, then 1 Corinthians 11.32 says, But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. See, we're to come, when, we, we, when we're born again, we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we come apart from the world. Spiritually speaking, we come apart from the world. And... Uh, we don't abandon them out there. We, we, we're, we're with, we, we can't help be around the people we're around, saved or unsaved. And uh, the ones who are unsaved, we, we need to be responsible to try to do what we can to uh, express their need for Jesus Christ to them. But we're separate, spiritually speaking. We're separate in the way we think. We're separate in the way we act. Uh, in other words... If you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, if you claim to be a Christian, you need to act like a Christian. We need to act like a Christian. So, um, again, verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 11.32, but when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned of the world. So, if need be, he gives us a spanking. All right, so what's God's preference here? His preference is that we take responsibility with the sin that we've fallen into and deal with it. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Probably very familiar to you. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. You see that in verse 13? He's on our side. He's on our side encouraging us along in the faith. 
Now this church, Philippian church, like any church, had its struggles, but generally speaking, this was the, they had their act together pretty well. Because he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. See, they weren't trying to show off for the apostle when he showed up. They were, they were walking the faith whether he was there or not. That's what that tells us. And we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. This is a serious matter. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And what's his good pleasure? Romans 8.29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's his good pleasure. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That word he isn't us. That's Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed that before. For whom he foreknew, he also, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. As, as we come along and, and into the flock, we are added to the brethren that are conformed to his image and being conformed to his, him, his image. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says it this way, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Even your sanctification. That's God's will. So he's going to do everything in his power to make certain we're in an environment where that can happen. It's when we step out that we get ourselves in big trouble. All right, so, but what if we just wade in? We just, we're tempted, and it, we're enticed, and it looks like that's good for us, good for us to, to get involved with, so we just wade into the sin. How might God deal with it? Well, uh, if you'll find Joshua in your Bible, it comes right after Deuteronomy. We'll take a look at this. Right after Deuteronomy, and get to Joshua chapter 6. Now Joshua had led the children of Israel across the Jordan to begin. Moses was off the scene, now he had died. And you recall that uh, he was forbidden to enter the promised land because of an issue he had with sin. Isn't it nice to know we're in good company? Um, and that's good company. Uh, and he struck the rock in anger to get the water, and God went ahead and gave them the water because they needed it, but he, he struck the rock in anger, and because of that, because of his attitude about it, he uh, was forbidden to enter the promised land. But Joshua took them across the Jordan River. They got to Jericho. That was their first conquest in uh, uh, claiming the land. And I think most of you remember how that happened. For six days, they were to march around the city once. Once a day, for six days. Then on the seventh day, they marched around how many times, you remember? Seven. Marched around seven times on the seventh day. Then the ram's horn blew, they all shouted, and the walls fell flat. Wouldn't it be nice if it, if it were that easy in every circumstance? You know, what's inter always interested me is that God never does things the same way twice. I haven't been able to find that anywhere. 
I mean, look at Gideon as he was about to enter battle uh, against Amalek, and he put out the fleece. Never seen that again anywhere in Scripture. And uh, so this is pretty incredible. So let's pick it up with uh, Joshua chapter 6 and verse 18. And uh, they're going to move on to the next conquest, which is Ai. This one was successful. But we're going to see some requirements concerning uh, um, Jericho here as we begin. Verse 18, And you by all means abstain from the accursed things. This has to do with Jericho. Lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things. We're going to find out what those are as we move along here. And make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Now, let's go on to chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed, of the accursed things. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. In other words, this is going to be a piece of cake. So don't, don't bother sending the whole crew. You know, we'll just send a few thousand. But there's sin in the camp. You know, that may have worked, but there's sin in the camp. Verse 4, so about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. Down in verse 6, then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Verse 10, So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up, why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have even taken some of the accursed things, and have both stolen and deceived. And they have also put it among their own stuff. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies. Listen, something else that happens when we fall into sin, our forward progress in our work, walk with God comes to a stop, comes to a complete stop. We can't serve him. We can't make rational decisions about our life and pursue things that we think God is leading us in because he's not leading anymore until it gets taken care of. So verse 12, Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you anymore, unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. 
We cannot proceed with any kind of ministry for God or anything in this life, as a matter of fact, until we've taken care of it. Oh, Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing. Time to repent and to take care of the sin. Verse 14, in the morning there you, shall, there you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to families. And the family which the Lord takes shall come by households. And the households which the Lord takes shall come man by man. He's going to narrow it down to this person that actually committed the trespass. And he probably thinks, oh, in this sea of people with, with all the Israelites around me, who's going to know? Okay, verse 16. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah, and he took the family of the Zerhites, and he brought the family of the Zerhites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. How come we don't name our kids any of these names? Hmm. All right, so verse 19. Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, now we're going to find out what those accursed things were. Uh, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So the sin was dealt with. But something's interesting about Achan here. He thought no one was watching when he took the items. Here he is in the midst of Jericho after the battle was won. And he's scooping up all this stuff. And he thinks nobody's watching. He knew that he wasn't supposed to take them, but here he is. He also thought no one would know if he hid it in the dirt under his tent. I'll just hide it under the dirt under my tent. And then... Who will know? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Who would know what I'm doing? Verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Before we even do it, God knows. Before we even do it, he knows. Verse 13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Achan didn't know this. How he may have known it, you know, in his head, but he didn't believe it. 
So God gave Achan enough space, but Achan made the wrong choice. Now, I mentioned a few moments ago about, you know, if we are, if we are enticed, if we're tempted, and we actually step into the sin, why doesn't God just stop us? And the answer to that, as we've already said, was is because he wants us to be responsible. If we're his children, we know right, what's right and what's wrong, and he wants us to be responsible. So Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11, has, has a very invaluable message for us that we need to heed. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Oh, I've been tempted, but boy, this sin looks great, and I'm going to start doing this. And there, my heart is fully set to do evil because God isn't, this is working fine. God hasn't jumped all over me at this point, so I probably just get away with this. Turn with me uh, as we uh, finish up here to Psalm 95. And we're going to look at a a very disturbing epitaph concerning Israel at one point in their existence as a nation. Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. Verse 7 says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me. They tried me. Though they saw my work, for forty years I was grieved with that generation, and said, It is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. What a sad epithet. We don't want to be here. We don't want to be in this place. And fortunately, in the new covenant, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we are empowered to walk with our God as we should. And uh, it's a struggle from time to time. From time to time we get discouraged. From time, and, and in dis times of discouragement and, and at other times we can be tempted. And we need to be responsible and take the proper action. Otherwise, as I've mentioned, and as we saw with uh, Achan and with Israel itself, we cannot move forward. We can do nothing. And we will, we will just go around in circles. Well, I think I'll do this. No, I think I'll do that. And nothing works. Nothing will work. So I hope this, uh, this lesson will, will be an encouragement to you and, uh, and that we can all move forward with the kind of success that God has for us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for um, your word. We thank you for the example we've seen here and, and um, uh, for the way you teach us and, and warn us and, and help us to stay on the path that you want us to. And that's a path of joy and, and um, it's a path of service to you and, and a path that is, is just so wonderful to, to try out. 
And Lord, we just uh, commit it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's say.